Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The unknown can be scary. But sometimes, trying to find answers can be a scarier process. The information is all around you, and yet, you can't seem to have your wonders and wishes fulfilled. That's where we come in. This show is all about making sure you feel comfortable with the science, and what you hear is meaningful to you. In Season 1, we would end every episode with a SAS class, and it was one of your favorite segments. This was where we took your questions about science and showed you how it could be used in your daily lives. However, what ended up happening is that you weren't always satisfied. You had more questions, and it made us realize that for the SAS class to work even better this season, we needed to include you. And that's what we've done. Going forward, we'll be answering questions that were submitted via Twitter at JATetro and email at thegermguy at gmail.com. And new for this season, you can leave me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash sass. It's clear you care about learning more about that second wave, and Patrick Saunders Hastings is going to be helping us to better understand how to do that. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and this is the Super Awesome Science Show SAS class on the second wave. Despite all the information we have heard about that second wave, I've noticed that many of you have similar questions, and that similarity reveals a few things. The first is that you're not hearing what you need to hear. The second is that you really should share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. After all, I'm sure they will have similar questions, and we all want to have answers. Now, if you haven't listened to last week's show with Patrick Saunders Hastings, you may want to do that before we get into the questions. After all, it's no secret that second waves happen. But how do we keep making the same mistakes, especially after we've declared mission accomplished is both fascinating and perhaps a bit frustrating to hear? Especially if you ran out of toilet paper. Class is now in session. Here's your first question. How come we're so worried about a second wave for COVID-19 when we didn't see a second wave with SARS? Right. And I think I understand the impulse to compare COVID-19 to other coronavirus outbreaks, including SARS and MERS. But the fact of the matter is that neither of them were associated with the same degree or, or even anything close to it of community transmission. So neither were as infectious and SARS in particular was mostly transmitted in healthcare settings. Um, with that said, uh, some do consider a second wave of SARS to have occurred in Toronto after infection prevention measures were released, what they called prematurely. But again, we're talking at a very small scale in mostly healthcare settings. So it's that community transmission aspect that was missing from SARS and MERS as well um, that makes COVID-19 quite unique. You mentioned the second wave could possibly happen in the fall, but that's cold and flu season. Aren't they going to cancel each other out? So this is an excellent question. And, and 
it's th- this co-circulation is what many, including myself, either expect or fear could happen. Now, we don't yet have a clear idea of whether and how influenza and COVID-19 will co-circulate in general or the impacts of co-infection in a single individual. What I would caution is that COVID-19 is a unique and different virus. So from previous pandemics where the pandemic influenza strain displaced the previously circulating strain, or at least we'd seen that in some cases, I don't think we can rely as clearly on that occurring. And for me, the biggest concern is what that could mean for healthcare resource capacity. Now, again, in Canada, we did not or have not yet seen widespread shortages in hospital resources like beds and ventilators, although these have been reported in other countries. However, simultaneous spikes in respiratory infections could add additional strain on this capacity. I'm also personally a little worried that fear of COVID infection and the deferral of of healthcare services, or at least in-person services, could reduce influenza vaccine coverage this fall and lead to further flu transmission. Why don't we just let the virus burn itself out then if we're worried about cold and flu season and COVID-19? I think this question gets at the idea of, uh, of herd immunity, right? So, and I should say that again, H-E-R-D, herd immunity, um, which covers the buildup of immunity due to either infection or vaccination. And this gets a little mathy, but the threshold, very generally speaking, is one minus one over the R naught. So as an example, we believe that the R naught or basic reproductive rate for measles is about 20. It's very, very infectious, meaning that one over one over 20 or 95% need to be immune for the virus to dissipate and then fail to establish a chain of transmission. With COVID, that guess of two to 2.5 means that we would need about 50 to 60% of individuals to be and stay immune. It may not even be possible, much less advisable, to take the approach of letting the virus burn through the population and relying on natural herd immunity. The scale of infections that would be required to achieve that level would be enormous and would likely be associated with very high mortality and significant problems maintaining health service delivery. Do you think that when that second wave happens, we have no choice but to go back into lockdown? I would not put it in such strong terms. I'm hoping that, and and maybe I'll I'll take a step back here if I can if I can take a minute. But generally, how we try to deal with outbreak responses is through this framework called test, trace, and isolate. And that means diagnostic testing, contact tracing, and isolation of infected individuals. It's really when that system breaks down that we need to move to these higher level community mitigation measures like lockdowns, sort of writ large. And so I think if we are able to retain the adequacy of that test trace isolate um, mechanism, if and as a new wave emerges, uh, the hope is that we can keep that at a sufficiently low level that our more targeted individual-based approach is sufficient and that we don't have to move to these more community-based mitigation measures like lockdowns. So no, I don't view lockdowns as a foregone conclusion, but I do think that if we as a general population, including the public health authorities, become complacent, um, there is the risk that the transmissibility profile of COVID-19 really rapidly outstrips our ability to conduct 
testing and contact tracing in a meaningful way. Has human nature changed over the last 500 years when it comes to pandemics? That's a good question. I don't know if human nature has changed. I think human behavior has changed. And and one of the, um, let's say, trends that I feel quite strongly about is the role of globalization in pandemic preparedness, resilience, and vulnerability. So I think that the way we access and consume information has, of well, of course, changed dramatically. Uh, and I think that has implications for how we perceive both pandemic and response protocols. Um, I think the way that we interact is is shifting in a number of different ways, um, including you know, that, that technology is allowing us to maintain social activity while ma- um, maintaining physical distance. So whether or not human nature has changed might be too, bi- too big of a question for me. But I think that there are a number of globalization processes from trade and travel and, and information technology that are dramatically impacting the way we expose ourselves to pandemic threats and the way we respond to them. How long do you think it will be before we can move on from COVID-19 and call this pandemic over? Yeah, the the most honest answer I can give is that I do not know. Um, Most pandemics we've seen in the past, again, influenza pandemics, tend to occur within the span of about two years. But this is based on historical accounts that tend to be associated with strains that then establish seasonal infection patterns. We do not yet know whether COVID will dissipate or disappear entirely, or maybe result in continuous recurrent infection waves. One thing I would just caution and return back to is this idea that moving on may not mean returning to normal. Um, So I think that several decisions and trends um, triggered by the pandemic will persist over the longer term as well. And so I think it really depends on what we mean by move on. But I think that, well, I should say, I hope that the memory of this pandemic will be sticking with us for a long time. And there you have it. I want to thank everyone who asked a question to Patrick Saunders Hastings. And I hope you heard what you needed to stay informed and take actions to stay safe. If you didn't hear your question, make sure to let me know by tweeting me at JATetro or sending me an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. And if you want to leave a voice question so it can be heard on the show, head over to speakpipe.com slash sass, that's S-A-S-S, and leave me a voice message. It's incredibly simple. Just head to the site, turn on your microphone, and let me know what's on your mind. It could be a question, but it could also be a show idea, or you might just want to say hello. Next week, we're going to be talking about airborne infections, and I'm sure you're going to have questions. So please send them in now. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're part of the Curious Cast family and are available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to Patrick Saunders Hastings. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. Stay safe. Make sure to send me those questions. And as always, make sure to show them some sass. <laughs>